This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how to help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and you're listening to us at our new time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Thursday mornings. When we talk about succeeding in the workplace, we think not only of what we do, what our titles are, where we are in the organization, but certainly how much we earn. I mean, after all, last time I told my mother I got a promotion, she said to me, but did you get a raise? Money matters. Given that the wage gap leaves women earning at best 79% to 85% of what a man earns, and that lifetime gap created by it nears $600,000, closing that gap is one of the most urgent and more complicated challenges we face in how we really succeed. We know it's rooted in systemic issues of access and advocacy, or the lack thereof. The wage gap is also fueled by outdated social norms and deeply personal notions of self-worth. Think about it. Have you been up for a job and wanted to ask about what the salary norms are at that organization, but you didn't because you were afraid? Or didn't ask for the salary that you knew others made because you feared that your value itself would be questioned. My guest today wants to remove that anxiety and equip women with the information and skills they need to get the pay they deserve. Cynthia Medina Carson is the founder and CEO of this amazing new company called Wager. They work with individuals and organizations to create safe spaces for transparent and healthy salary conversations. Let me tell you a little bit more about her before I introduce her to all of you. Cynthia lost launched Wager in early 2019, building on her 15 years of experience as an executive recruiter, talent consultant, and leadership coach. Prior to moving into the talent field, she was an international relations and policy expert for the Department of Treasury, Homeland Security, and J.P. Morgan. Talk about a resume. And she served in the, spe- in the Peace Corps to boot. Cynthia is the founder of the Cheeky Monkey Club, a networking group for women who hate to network, which I have to confess includes me, and is in the studio with us today. Cynthia, welcome to Women at Work. Hi, thank you for that introduction. That was really nice. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't want to hear it, but that's beautiful. <laughs> I know, I'll deserve. So when we plan our careers, um, I want to be an X. I want mm-hmm. to make Y. Yeah. We often think in these linear vertical terms, mm-hmm. like we're climbing a ladder. Yep. Um, where am I now? Where do I want to be? And if we think about anything that pulls us off that path with some suspicion. But some of us who are now far enough in our careers to look back can say they were zigzags and that mm-hmm. we wouldn't be in these happy places we are without the zigzag. So mm-hmm. tell us, you zigged and you zagged. <laughs> Yeah. How did you go from being in international relations and a policy expert Mm -hmm. to a recruiter to an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a long path. Um, You know, it's funny, you in one of your a few of your uh, radio shows, you've mentioned um, you can't be what you don't see. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But that is so opposite from how I grew up. Right. Um, My family didn't No one went to college. No one went had a passport. No one did things. And so it was, it, it feels like a zigzag for, for me, it was about accomplishing the next steps. What's the next three years? What's the next, and there was no long-term vision. So, so you're you, correct. So that's interesting, because we had talked with Joan C. Mitchell, where she mm-hmm. actually described the impact she's made on the world by thinking in five, three to five-year increments mm-hmm. of change. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was on a personal level yep. for you. So even coming out of high school and going to college, you just thought in these short windows of time. Yes. So I manage my life by feel and not by vision. 
Um, and so I would feel it out for the next couple of years. And then I would get strong and smart and figure it all out. I'm like, okay, what's the next thing that I have to tackle? So it was never a linear way to be successful, but I was always successful. What was driving the choices? Was it about what interested you, what you were good at, or an impact that you wanted to have? Um, I ha- well, first, it was a necessity for me to be successful uh, in terms of everyone had helped me in a way, just by love and and happiness to be like, hey, Cynthia, you can succeed. So I was doing a lot for that, for just the sense of my community where I came from. Um, and who were the they? Your, your parents, sure. your family, teachers? Well, I have 29 aunts and uncles, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> my dad is one of 14, my mom one of 15. And that matters a lot, right? So if you don't have any money, but you have a lot of love and some food, that was good enough, <laughs> right? But there was zero direction. So it goes back to I had this uh, sense of curiosity and brain with zero vision. <laughs> and that, when I say vision, I don't mean nothing. I just mean there wasn't this big, big overarching thing I was supposed to do. Now, you're, yeah. that big extended family that you had, mm-hmm. how many of them had gone to college? Zero. Okay, so you're the first generation. I'm the first person to go to college. and the first person graduate degree. I'm the first person to own a passport. Um, I've lived abroad. I, I mean, all of them. And there's hundreds of us, right? Um, and so I think there was that was empowering. Some people actually are um, encumbered by their past. But because there was no, I was I was successful off the gate if I just graduated from high school. So after that, it was all gravy. Okay, so wait, I, I got to unpack this a little because this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. You know, because the easy bios that you find online yeah. don't um, probe this. Yes. And so you actually grew up with a lot of love, but mm-hmm. not what we would consider now to be privilege. That would we had the layaway uh, layaway lifestyle, which is you'll get all you want if you can wait six months or nine months after we paid it off at Kmart, right? Or my. Before, there was a time when you could travel, and it was important as well because my family's from Puerto Rico, and we would go every summer. And how does someone poor go to Puerto Rico every summer for two yeah. weeks? They were factory jobs. My, my parents were factory employees. There was a time when you actually could do layaway on travel. You're anyway, kidding. Yeah. So it was like <laughs> it, instead of putting your own money in a coffee can to buy the plane tickets to go you to actually Puerto go to Rico. travel agency and pay over time. And you could pay over time, but it was that right. hand-to-mouth growing up. Yes, yes. And so how did college become a reality for you? Um I mean, I, so in third grade, there was busing desegregation, and that's when I first met white people. <laughs> so all my best friends, you know, I had friends who were white, um, and they had these notions of going to college. I was like, oh, we're supposed to go to college now. Um, and So it was your friend group. It was my friend both group. introduced you to the concept and yes. established it as a norm. Correct. And then, of course, you, you know, there was other things where people get tracked. Um, <laughs> uh, and I chose Georgetown University because my uncle liked the basketball team. Now, see, these are like the short-term things that you're like, sure. <laughs> Look, I just kept going I with the flow. I <laughs> applied to one particular school because I wanted to graduate in Washington Square Park in a purple cap and gown. Yeah. I made really informed right. decisions at 18. Right. right. Mine was my, and I was like, sure. Great. Sounds great. Um, after that, I feel, you know, once after college and once Peace Corps and once I established myself, I definitely, you know, had markers. And I'll say for me, Peace Corps and probably 9-11 were the big markers in my life of how to, I move forward. Um, so I took all that energy, all that wanderlust and all that just ease of every three years doing something differently and whatever meant to me at the time and took it all and kind of packed it up for my next life. Okay, before we move on to the sure. next life. Yeah. In this, though, Georgetown is not just any old place. Yeah. It does have a little bit to do with foreign service yes, and international relations. And yes. then you were in the Peace Corps. Yes. What was motivating you? You know, this is interesting. And I'll say it was very difficult to go to Georgetown um, when I probably had written my first real essay a senior year. You know, there was uh, I got in because... I was smart enough to get in to get the basic amount of grades. And I, I, I could say I stumbled upon, of course not, looking back. But I got in, and then I looked around, and I realized I felt like an alien. 
right? I so was an alien. You were you were uh, other there. I was a it was full on other. Um, in all the ways possible, it was fine. Um, I had to make that leap, and I had to see what the infrastructure or what the power structure looked like in the United States. I had no sense of the power structure. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is what it looks like. This is what power looks like. This is what money looks like. This is how people dress when they have power and money. This is what you know people drive and eat. You know, and that was very fascinating. That was a lot more information buckets into my brain. Yeah, because it wasn't just what you were learning in your classes. Oh. It was the whole milieu of college and particularly yes. this elite private university. Yes, and I think it's very important. And I push people to apply to Harvard universities because um, there is something very important about understanding how the power structure works to be able oh. to make change. So so in that trade-off mm-hmm. of that you now understand you were this kid full of promise and potential, mm-hmm. admitted, I'm gathering for that promise and potential, Yes. smart, hardworking, yeah. um, with some things to learn, Yes. and that you got there and the challenge of being, as you said, alien, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, was worth it though in exchange of what it taught you about a world that you had never seen? Yes. Uh, it catapults a person, like three levels, to understand how to make change. It really does. Because um, you now un- see- There are these people who raise money for causes. There are, you go to, there's a place on the hill where law is made this way, but no, it's actually made this way. Just actually seeing how it really, things really change the slow pace of things or the fast pace of things, depending on the money. You know, there's a like, the inter- I, did we can this, talk about this all day. Did, right? I know, did this disappoint or inspire you? I took it for what it was. Okay. And then I thought, okay, I have this great stuff, and now I'm going to San Francisco and go temp because it was too much for me. <laughs> so I left to San Francisco to think, sit and think about it. Okay. Like, and how old were you at this point? Uh, probably 21, 22. Okay, so right out of college. Yeah, I, I had a year of fellowship, and I was like, all right, a year of fellowship at the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute. I worked at the World Bank. I did everything I was supposed to do that people told me around that I was supposed to do, but it still didn't make, it didn't gel with me. It wasn't me. Like, it wasn't speaking to my heart. Okay. And I'm like, there's more out there. I'm supposed to do something else. So what came next? <laughs> my sister's funny. You know, my brother-in-law's like, well, she obviously has a job. She's going to San Francisco. You know, like, she's not going to just get up and, like, right. and, and she's like, well, you have a job, right? Yeah, I was like, no, I don't have a job. I was on a couch. But it was fine. And I figured out how to make my way in the world again. But this time, with my resume, with my Georgia, I needed to know that I could do it by myself again, but without any help. So I started and I made money and I had great jobs and I ended up working in like the finance area for Gap, their headquarters, you know, like I did it. And I'm like, OK, I know now I took all my Georgetown stuff. I know how to make money. I know I'll never be poor. OK, now what do I want to do? Cause, and that gave you a point from which you were safe enough yes. to now ask yes. the questions about what you wanted because you could put a yes. roof over your head. Exactly. Like I felt like not only so I did all the education, I did everything everyone else had to do. And now I also have experience. This is mine now. Now what? Um, and so I joined the Peace Corps. And I taught women how to start their own businesses with $100 micro-lending Oh, my God. Projects, yes. I was also known as the chicken lady because I taught women how to start their own chicken projects because that was eggs and sustainability and all that kind of stuff. All very, empower- all very empowering, all very wonderful. It was a Sandinista town in the middle of nowhere, Nicaragua. Awesome, right? Great. I will never fail after that either. <laughs> right. I mean, I could do it. I right. can, big city, little city. I'm good. Right. Um, so this yeah. is incredible. So this is now the second wave yes. of you actually being um, 
anchored in yes. this reality yes. of what it means to be able to earn a living and put a roof over your own head yes. in various circumstances. Yes. For those of you who just tuned in, I am talking with the extraordinary Cynthia Medina. She is Cynthia Medina Carson, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Wager, which facilitates transparent and healthy salary conversations as part of the big effort to close the wage gap. Okay, so, you know, wages clearly relevant here. Yes. You're, you're living it. You're seeing women live it in the Peace Corps. What mm-hmm. happens after the Peace Corps? Um, you know, and I, I get a sense of, like, I had this big, big, big picture stuff. I come home, um, and I'm thinking, okay, what's next? And I had the same woman, my teacher from, uh, you know, senior years, who taught me how to, she told me how to apply for Georgetown, uh, Miss Yonkers. She's like, okay, now you're applying to, George, no, to Harvard. I was like, well, no, it's like in three weeks I can't do that. She's like, no, 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 you can apply to Harvard. I was like, okay. Um, you know, and so these, again, you know, these visions, I don't have these bigger, <laughs> I knew I was going to do something next. And she's like, all right, and it was a beautiful push, but it's like you keep elevating yourself on your own. It's a very hard thing to do, but that's the only way you could do it if you don't have vision. So I applied to Harvard, applied to a few other schools. I went. The focus was going to be international affairs. And I did that. Um, and a really beautiful, wonderful man, friend at the time who's now my husband, was at 9-11. Right? So it was going to be international affairs. 9-11 happened. He was there. And he, you know, he saw things and felt things on September 12th. The next morning, I wanted, was in the first train into New York City to find him and be with him, and we've been together ever since. Oh, my God. Um, and I think at this point, I finally was like, okay, I have done enough for myself, in the, and the, I'm going to bring this all home. What am I going to do with this? What's this power I have? I got to serve again. Um, and that's when I went to work for, and it, it started off with NYPD, counterterrorism unit, ended up in the uh, Treasury, but it was all focused on um, anti-terrorist financing. <laughs> Oh, my so, God. Okay. So focused as a po- Latin America policy expert on a subject where I felt like I could do my smarts, expert on the area, and contribute. Okay. So I want to pause for a second because sure. um had a debate at home with my own 17-year-old daughter mm-hmm. about how much do you need to do yourself and rely on yourself. And the challenge, though, of need welcoming in advice from other people. Mm, and mm-hmm. it sounds like you had a combination of these two things going on all along, that you were picking yourself up by your bootstraps, mm-hmm. um, at the same time that there were some key people in, yes. in your trajectory yes. who encouraged you and pointed your head in the right direction. Exactly. And said, go. Yes. And I, and I feel very fortunate. And I, I, at Harvard, I actually um, invited at my graduation two of my uh, teachers um, and it was Mr. Regali, uh, who was my basketball. Oh, he was a basketball coach, and he taught me how to play tennis. And he said, "You can play tennis all over the world." You know, Kings used to play tennis. Just learn how to play tennis. I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and um, and I also invited Miss Yonkers. Um, again, two people who just made small markers that was import- very important to me. And of course, my parents. <clears throat> um, so, Harvard, you know, uh, policy, DC. Again, back to big picture. Um, Happily married. Happily married. Um, actually, yes, happily married, but I was in D.C. and he was in New York commuting for the first Challenging. time. Challenging. You know, it happens. Um, we so made how it work. did you wind up shifting into talent? So all this happens. Um, we get married, and at some point I'm like, okay, we're going to have family. Um, I, we started a family. Jonathan had to go to San Francisco for his job, and we just made a decision. It was a good moment. I had a one child at one it was a good moment to take a break. Let's start San Francisco. It was supposed to be three to six months, two years. 
great. So we're in San Francisco, and I'm looking around. I'm like, all right, it's time to start over. Like, I felt like I've done everything all my life to make sure everyone else was happy, uh, that everyone was proud, that people had something to look forward to or could look up to. And now it was time truly to figure out who I was and what I was going to do and how I was going to serve. How much of that did you carry from where you grew up? Was you think the, it, to be that successful. sense that you had to make everybody else proud? A hundred percent. But I was fine with that because I also had fun. It wasn't like and a torturous thing. It sounds like you thing. did it pretty <laughs> easily. <laughs> it, was a tor- it wasn't torturous. It was a beautiful thing to do. Uh, but it was time to stand on my own two feet in a way that was different. I had to transcend and also start doing bigger. How do I make bigger change? Like, how am I going to make structural change? How can Cynthia Medina Kirsten make structural change? And I was like, all right, I think I'm ready to start that process. And I did not know what it looked like. Um, so I asked people around me, first of all, I need to get it. I'm going to have a job. Uh, I want to use my smarts. I want the flexibility because I'm a mom now, two children. Um, I'm going to start getting grounded in something that I'm good at. And I'm good at people. I'm good at analysis. I'm good at the basics. And I want flexibility. So it was, you know, recruiting. There startup people all around me, San Francisco, tech. It was an easy in. I had someone, it started when someone said, hey, I wish we would have used your razor life, razor like knife skills uh, on this last uh, interview process because we botched it. And I was like, oh, next time you're hiring, call me. I'm going to do it for you. I'll do the first one for free. And then after that, you pay me. And that's how I started. You smart cookie. So you just created a consulting business like that. Yes, literally. And then I did that. And I did it successfully. And they started paying me. Then I could advertise that I was doing it. And I told other people I was doing it. And I did my LinkedIn. And I just started. <laughs> and I said, this is what I do now. In this process. Yeah. Um, how did you set your own fees or negotiate for your own salary? And this is interesting because I ne- I had no idea, right? And so what I did, Especially one of my first- it's not like you negotiate in the Peace Corps or the Foreign no, Service. No, that was $200 a month. No, right. <laughs> right. Uh, I, it was a really cool story is there was a person next to me and one of my first person, I, I, I actually said, hey, I'm going to San Francisco. I'm going to be meeting with other clients. I think you need some help. I'd like to go, you know, let's meet. Sure, let's meet. Yeah, we could use you. I'm going to be here next couple days. We can just, let's sort this out now. I didn't have any other clients. I just wanted this, this job. Um, and they're like, well, how much do you want to get paid? I was like, well, just pay me what you pay him. And the person who had the same job, I mean, it would be the same title. You know, we'll just start there. I had no idea. He but was you like, didn't know what it was. He was doing like for 15 years. I'd done it for three months. And I <laughs> ended up getting this amazing hourly rate, which was like over $70 an hour, which is ridiculous. You know, it was great. I should have started probably like 20, 25, and it was fine. Okay, so this is a case where you actually um, went to, like, you you were um, throwing darts in the dark. Yes. and But you aimed high. Yes. So without pay me really... what you pay him. And what, are they going to say no? Right. <laughs> well, they could have. The fact <laughs> that you started with pay me what you pay him. Yes. I elevated it by at least 15%. 100%. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So you started working in talent. Now, yeah. why become an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I have all... It's very important for me to take what I've learned, what I've done, and do something that creates a change um, because I have the ability to do that. I think we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm driven by um, – because I, I'm such a content person, a uh, grateful person, I feel very um, – I want other people to feel that as well, right? So that completely drives me. So – I, and this is, you know, working with large companies and working across the way, um, the reasons, I, you know, w- Wager developed was having lots and lots of conversations with people who are not doing it correctly. And that bugged me, right? 
they were not asking for the right amount. They were not asking for anything. Um, they were taking whatever number people said. And I so actually wait, felt so like as it. you sure. were in this process, yeah. you're serving as a recruiter. So you're interview. You're helping to select and interview people. I'm interviewing executives and entry level and startups and lots. But of were people. you responsible for the salary negotiations? I or knew just privy to them. I was privy to them. So I was like the. I wanted to be the honest broker because I cannot not be. Right. And I was supposed to be on the side of a large company and their date and their salary, you know, their spreadsheets. Right. And I get that and I'm fine with that. I mean, I know that was we, we got to function on a budget. I understand we can't just have everyone have everything. I understand that. But there were moments where I was, I just felt like the person was so falling so short and I was not on the right side. And you wanted right to side. help them. I had to. And at first it didn't bug me. But I, I after a while, I'm like, all right, this per I'm literally going to, this person is going to be set off on the wrong trajectory for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I know what her counterparts make. I know where she's going to be. And I can see it. It's just a bad policy. Bad things are going to happen for this person. Right. So I'm like, hey, by the way, you asked for 80, you asked for 85. This job starts at 95. You, I'm going to put you down that you want at least minimum 92. Like, I just can't. And she'd better be a lot of profuse thank yous, or I'd say, hey, um, you really haven't analyzed this job enough to know to have this negotiation. I really think you have to go back, really think about that number. Um, you know, I just, and one woman, would, and I'll always remember this, she says, just pay me what you want. And I was like, okay, you want me to pay, how about zero? You know what, why don't you come and work for free? And she, her eyes opened up. <laughs> I was like, don't ever say that to someone. Right. How would you ever say that to someone? You never, that's disrespectful for yourself and me. What do you think is behind it, though, when women do that? Women are, um, well, they tend to be very happy, uh, grateful for an opportunity. Like I just got, especially, you know, if you have first generation person like me, you're like, woohoo. Um, grateful for the opportunity. Um, sometimes they, are, they appreciate stability over career. They feel like stability and career um, growth. It's mutually like one of them. You can pick one or the other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have a friend who knows that she's paid less than all of the men who work Ooh. at the same bank that she does, mm -hmm. but she also works from home and sets her own hours, and she's afraid right. that if she asks for more money... Yep. Um, that's she, silliness. They'll change her structure. Right, that's but, what I told her. Right, so the job is... A jo the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, I, you know, and I've learned my, how to be polite about it because people you know, very touch their salary. Very, there's a lot of attachment, and um, you had mentioned in the introduction, people are very like, emotionally attached to that number. And I, one thing I say to people is, do you know someone just made that up? Like someone just sat on a weekend and made up a spreadsheet and you're holding on so tight and you're saying your value is something random. It could change tomorrow, you know, um, and you can make a change tomorrow as well. So for those of you who just tuned in, you're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and my guest today is Cynthia Medina Carson. She's the founder and CEO of Wager. Okay, so now we can see clearly that you'd spent enough time mm -hmm. on the wrong side of the table. Yes. And that you were trying to help these women from whatever you could from the role that you were in, yep. um, what were your first steps in starting your own business? And, and by the way, I also say that I did that. It wasn't. If you, it's not against the company because that person's going to find out they're making less than the other people and they're going to leave. You know, like there's a lot right. of this. Like let's keep people. Let's keep good people by being honest with them. So sorry. radical concept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. So you were okay. So you said how did it? At so, what point? Like yeah. talk to me about that transition of tactically. How, what was mm -hmm. the first step you you took in starting your own business? Yeah, well, yep. I was sitting on a couch, and I told my husband, I was kind of, it was on, I remember it was January, and I said, hey, I just feel like we should 
I wish all salaries for just one day we could all show what it, what's let's just reveal all of it for 48 hours and see what's all the fuss is about because the people will really understand what's going on. Uh, and he, as a manager, was like, well, no. And the, he gave me all the reasons why no, someone should never do that. And the people will be jealous. And people are going to this. And, be, and I was like, no. All you're saying is it creates more work for managers. That is not the same as saying people should not have more information. right? Um, maybe the infrastructure is not there for a company to do this. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. So I, what I did was I took, I BCC'd 500 of my closest friends. <laughs> and I said, hey. I'm going to do this thing. It's called, I'm calling it, I even not know if I had a name for it. I'm going to, I'm going to pair people up to have salary conversations. You know, I'm a big connector. I have a network. You know, I have this thing. I always connect people anyway. So this wasn't too crazy. It was kind of crazy. I said, I'm going to connect you. If you, what, if you want to talk to someone in your industry uh, on salary, have a salary chat, I want you to send me your LinkedIn and I, well, I want you to tell me how much you make because I got to pair you well. It was fascinating, right? Who said yes and who said no and who, the, the emails and, the, and a lot of the energy that came around it. And what I loved is when I first did it, nothing happened for like 12 hours. <laughs> Were you just refreshing your screen, refreshing your screen? I was like, okay, maybe it was a bad idea. Um, and then it started rolling and I think people had to take a moment to think about it. Yeah. And then some people are like, this is awesome. The world needs this, this is great. And some people are like, oh yeah, no, I'm good. You know, like, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> when, um, and that's how I started. For the people that said, no, I'm good, do you think it's that they really were good or that it's too personal? It's too personal and usually it would be men, right? And usually it would be, um, we don't, it, there's, you know, it's hard to do generalizations, but definitely 10 men who were, um, you know, executive level who felt like that kind of information on someone's hands could be um, adversely used okay. is my guess. Another person said, I don't even, I don't, my wife doesn't even know how much I make. Oh my God. So there's, there's yeah. so much to unpack here. Secrecy, yeah. misinformation. I, yeah. I have to say, um, years ago, in one of my first jobs, a colleague of mine um, was starting a petition to say we should all share mm. our salaries. And I was making, I don't know, $16,000 a year. Like, I had nothing to protect at that point. Right. <laughs> um, it was important 16000 though. And I remember being worried that mm. my peers, that it would create tension mm -hmm. between us, between my peers and me. Um, were there some that I made more than? Um, how much of the secrecy around salaries is about those kinds of fears, and are they real? Or are they warranted? Um. Well, yes, right? So if you're sitting next to someone and you are making, which actually happened. This is a story of, you know, I, two, people, two people who have since become good friends of mine came from different ends to tell me how much they make. Um, she was a woman, an executive woman. Um, he's an executive. They were both working at a consulting place. Uh, he was making $100 more an hour than her. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was, you know, fast. Uh, it was a lot, right? And he, um, what's interesting in that conversation, when they sat down, he, she had mentioned, hey, I'm going to be going in to have this conversation with the boss. This is where I'm at. The contract is up. You know, I've been thinking about this. And he offered, he said, do you want to know how much I make? You know, like, you can ask me, like, you know. Yeah. And she didn't want to know. You know, part of her, oh. the fear of knowing. Because it would then, it's not just a number that there are men in the organization who make X. It's this person that you work with. Well, this person who works with makes X. I now have, I have information. I have to do something about it. 
And what happens if I don't, if I get disappointed and don't make it? Do I have a plan B? Like there's so much as there's opposed to- There's a lot to, there. There's a lot there. And so I, so, you know, when we talk about wager, um, we talk about pay gap and pay equity and all these emotional stuff, I feel like people don't realize, there's a data problem. There's mm-hmm. a data, right? So clearly, we your don't data, know. What- we don't know. There's information, salary, there's sheets and people want to share and you don't want to know. But it's also, once you know, you have to do something and that's a whole different ball, right? And that's where, I think that's where I really have been talking to most people about we have a data problem we can fix the data right we're creating salary sheets i'm creating a database myself we're you know there's a lot of collaboration around data and revealing information and sharing there's a lot happening around right now in the in the, in the ethos but that has nothing to do with translation into action and has nothing to do with the companies doing anything differently you know these are very two these are two these you know we have human we have data and then we have like cultural um right. so yes so she found out and she had to use that information and she made a change, but it felt, and this happens often, once you try and you say something to your manager and you, you, know, you reveal and you say, hey, I need, then if it doesn't work out, there is a, you have to have a plan B. And I think there's a disappointment there for some people. So there's a lot going on. Well, we can unpack all of it. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and so um, as you're beginning this process and mm-hmm. you're sharing the data, yep. What did you discover about the numbers themselves? And what did you discover about what the biggest needs were? How did you sort where you were going to put your energy? Okay. So, you know, what's interesting, in certain industries, in certain jobs, there is a large pay gap. There is. Um, and, you know, to media and some marketing. And there's a lot. There's places, you know... And you, but you also see that there's like Google. There was this conversation at Google, and there was a the article last year um, where there were, there was a in, there was a thought that people at the same levels because Google has levels, right? Mm-hmm. Level one, level two, whatever. Um, that women were actually making sometimes more than men at the levels, right? But there's a different conversation there where women were hitting ceilings because they were staying at levels higher and right. longer, right? So it's never so just it's the not number. just the number. It's, it's also about number. where you are in the organization. Yes. So yeah. is it that part of what we have to learn to negotiate isn't just how we're paid, yes. but what our roles are, where yes. we are in the organization? Yes. Yeah. And so what people are discovering is, um, so what I found is people were very intimidated by having the conversation. Once they had the conversation, there was all these light bulbs. And once you have light bulbs, you have to do something about it. Um, the data was showing, you had asked me, you know, you asked earlier, what, what was the discrepancy? Um, what I found more, more interesting, right? So if you're just, there's a discrepancy, and you can make a change, great. Um, you can ask, you can say, hey, this is what I think, and this is what I earn. You know, there are lots of, we have a process we could talk about of how people can go from zero to 100 and how to make it happen. Um, but I think the, the confusing part with people was when they were making the same and women still had anxiety that they weren't pay, they were they weren't equal in the workforce. You know, so oh, I had so- women who, who, I paired women with men to have a conversation, and they were, and I, and I mapped them, like their, the titles and the money, and there was it was interesting for me was women still feeling like maybe there were maybe there was something they weren't getting maybe there were there were there was part of them that were still confused and lost like do I deserve this am I making like, there was all these baggage so, conversation around so, even when they made well so as a way of kind of just um, giving it a label for our conversation was it a kind of persistent imposter syndrome yes. that the women carried correct. correct. Yes. And I think, and what happened, and I mean, it rarely did women really match up really well with the men, except in sales. If you want to make money, go to sales, <laughs> tech sales, <laughs> right? right. Uh, that even when they were paid well, there was still work to be done. Um, 
that they would might get stuck, that they were had such a nice salary that they weren't going to rock the boat. Like, I cannot ask for more ever So when again. you say there's work to be done, you mean there's work to be done in their ability to self-advocate? Yes. No matter how much you make, you all women have will always, I will, generalizations, people I've worked with um, will s- still never feel like they have ownership and empowerment to demand space. So when we talk about the pay, the wage gap as a complex problem mm-hmm. that has many factors, yes. women's sense of themselves, what they're entitled to and their self-worth is an issue alongside yes. the difference in the way that women may be compensated because of the biases that are present within the organization. Yes, which is why you have a data problem. Great. Now you know it. You learn how to talk about it with the counterpart in front of you and you make a deal like, hey, over the next year, this is where I want to be. How do we get there? Right. Women's still, there's a other piece where imposter syndrome is a piece of it, but will you ever, will a person ever feel completely like, yeah, I am worth all this and more? Right. That's missing. And I see that in men all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're all this and more. I'm like, well, maybe not that much. Um, but um, in that piece is, and that's probably where we're stuck. And so when I see the pay gap, I know that it's not just about the companies. I know it's not just about the data. We're also doing stuff to ourselves. Okay. So how is Wager helping us sort this out? So, you know, we do the, I do one-on-one. Like I'll get a phone call. I'm going to, you know, in one week I'm going to have this important conversation with my manager. And so we'll work through them how to have it, do the data, right? We do Wagers. We put Wagers being we pair people to have salary conversations to get a sense of where they are in their network and their peer set. So I'll connect people, two or three people, like, here, have at it, talk, and just share. That's one. Um, doing larger workshops in companies, which is really important. Like, I do workshops outside of companies. I think the most effective ones have been in a company. When a sanctioned compensation conversation workshop in a company, you have 50 women. Are you doing it with the employees or yes. with the people who are hiring others? No, with the employees. Having a, I have a workshop called Courageous Compensation Conversations. I've done it in very large, well-known tech companies. And they know that they're losing women. They know that women need to feel like, where are we in this space? And they don't want to, they know conversation, the, com- the compensation is a very important piece of that. So the companies are, are bringing paying you in to go in because they want to close their gap and they want to retain the underrepresented Correct. talent. And to what degree? And not even under talent, just talent. Yes. Okay. And to what degree are you seeing these patterns fall just yeah. along gender line, or yes. also along other lines of identity and ethnicity? Yes. So, again, a large company that pays a tech company that pays people really, really well, right? Mm-hmm. And even in that space, I will always ask, okay, how many of you have negotiated? You know, a couple. Your first job. How about anyone negotiated in, you know, year 10, a couple more. But majority of people have never negotiated. And I'll say, okay, do you feel like you have everything you need? And people are like, no. <laughs> um, and I'll say, by the way, you guys are probably paid 20% more than the other, your your whole your counterparts. So, you know, you're fine. But there's still a sense, a nagging sense of being undervalued, no matter where you work and how much you make, which so, is very interesting to And it also seems like it's kind of ironic because we could simultaneously feel undervalued but not have the sense of self-worth yes. to advocate to get the pay that we're worth. Yes. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Right. Um, by the way, for those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work, and I'm your host, Laura Zara. I'm talking with Cynthia Carson. She is the founder and CEO of Wager. Um, so now, 
you also, in addition to working with corporate clients, you mm-hmm. also have individual clients. Yes. Who are they? What what kind of like stage of yeah. career? What kind of work? That who are they? I love them because <laughs> <laughs> I love when someone comes up to me and they're like, I'm you know these are so they tend to be women director and above. Okay. Um, they're getting they're hitting a little bit of a ceiling. They're at that place where. How much do I push? Where am I at? I'm getting like I was on a great direct trajectory, and like I'm feeling a little like if I I thought if I just put my head down, I'd be okay. If I, people would look after me, and I'm looking around, and stuff is happening, and I something's going differently, something's going sideways. Am I going? You know, there's a moment where they're like, wait, I need help, right? Okay, so wait before we move on, because sure. there's a couple important things in here, yeah. and which we've talked about a lot on the show. So um, that idea that if I work hard, mm. I will be taken care of and yeah. rewarded. Yes. And so they do that for X number of months, years, Yeah, like, decades. I got my job. Yay. I'm happy I have my job. Didn't negotiate. Um, I got a, you know, I got a little bump four years in. Didn't really negotiate. Like, oh, they recognize me. You know, and then like seven years in to 10 years in, you're like, oh, wait, I'm getting passed up. I'm hitting something. I'm getting a little, but I'm not making these leaps. Everyone says they're patting me on the back. I'm feeling like something's wrong. Right. So they've got so they're now well into so they're they've now missed being adequately paid for yes. seven to ten years. Hundred percent. So add that yeah. up, put that in your <laughs> totally. retirement fund and your social security. Yes. Yeah, the house. The thing you never got. Right. Yeah. Not to mention that they're not advancing, which to them is um, equates with actually making more money. Yes. Which it does. Right. And so they look up, they're like, I put my head down, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and why is Bob mm-hmm. here making more and advancing. <laughs> and that's usually when they come to me. Um, I really try hard to talk to universities because I feel like we can stop this earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. But so I will have a conversation and I love, I get people, I tell me where, I, I make people do a few wagers, right? So they get their peer set, they get a sense of where they want to be, they talk to me. Um, and one, you know, recently one was fantastic. You know, she, she was about to take on the company is going through a tech tech growth. They have the traditional company. They're gonna take all these tech pieces from this larger company, old school company, create this kind of a new company, shift it over, and put the resources in it. And she was gonna be a right hand person for that, not the CEO, but the second in command, young. So she's like, "Well, I'm young. Maybe I shouldn't be asking for more." Um, I was like, "Well, okay. Well, let's have this conversation." <laughs> um, the other one, which is really important, and I. I when women say, well, my husband makes enough, I don't have to oh um, my push. That I hear that. Um, they, but yet they're or, not going to vote as socialists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're like, we, they'll say my husband makes enough or I can take a little, I can do all these things. So it's, money is not imp- as important to me. And I, that gives me a spine up my back. it's really not as important or they're afraid? They're, they, um, they're, they're, they don't see it as failing. They're afraid. Um, they're embarrassed to say that they want more. They're embarrassed to say, that I want more. I want to be paid well, and I want people to know I'm great. They can't say that out loud. Right. What about that young person who's yeah. like, I'm young, I don't, but aren't you doing the same job? No. So I think young people, it's very important to say, hey, these, whatever job is in front of you is a job you're getting paid. It requires 60 hours, 70 hours. Don't think about your age what can you can you do the job mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how long or whatever can you do the job can you do what it requires can you do it better than other people then figure out how much anyone is at that job is making get that pay it has nothing to do with what you did before 
So, so these are some important fundamental things, which yep. is if you're doing the job, find yep. out who else has done that job and yep. what they're paid. Yes. And what will happen often is, and I've seen this a lot, especially executives, you'll have a long-term person, a man, leave. They've been making a lot of money. And you'll have a new person. And maybe they'll want a woman. They want to diversify. Mm-hmm. But they'll offer her, you know, 65% of whatever the man made. And no. So women are now, what they're doing is trying to find out how much that person made. And then demanding why I'm not in it. Okay, if there's a few years of the, I was like, no, actually, it doesn't matter how many years. Are you doing the job that person, and are you doing it just as well? Yeah, this is so. This is one of my questions. Is because I faced this in my own salary negotiations mm-hmm. over the years. Is when is it about the responsibilities, and when is it about how much experience I bring to the table, and then when is it about um, matching what other people are making in those roles? How do you so balance a, there that is a budget. and what's There is fair? a budget, so we can't pretend there's not a budget, right? Okay. I, it's always a job. What do you want from me? You're going to take me away from your family. You're going to make me travel. I don't care if I did this for two years. I'm going to do it just as well as someone else. If you feel like I'm smart enough, you're going to pay me the market rate. And if you can't afford the market rate, maybe someone else. Or maybe I'll do this for a year. And then, you know, we're going to, and I'm going to try again in two a year and a half and say, hey, can you now pay me market rate? I've now showed you how great I am. And they say, still, this day, if they still say no, now it is on you. It is not all about the boss at some point. And what I've been emphasizing within the individual um, common, you know, people that I work with, you could say it's the boss the first time. You may be, by the third year, this is you. I mean, this is, this person's just a random person in front of you. <laughs> this person is not your future. Like, make a decision what you want in your future. So uh, is what you're saying that um, we tend to imbue the -hmm. person that we have to ask and Mm -hmm. for more money or negotiate with, with um, more importance than they may deserve or more power? Yes. Right. So what can we say to ourselves in order to um, gear up for that kind of conversation? Well, one thing is you have to know what you, what you, what do you want, right? Um, I want if I want to be a manager and I've never managed anyone, do I have the skill set to be a manager? Is there ability for me to be a manager in with this supervisor here under this in this company? Like are there opportunities for this for me where I want to be? And I that simple question of what you want really will dictate what you're going to ask this person, how this person's going to help you lead. Now, when you say, are there opportunities, are you talking about, obviously, there are roles and positions for which you're qualified? Yes. Or is it about a more nuanced of, will they welcome me with my unique identity into hmm. this environment? Hmm. Should we consider both? Yeah. I think what, so this is, what I, this is where I come from. Women tend to, and I, I hate the generalizations, but... Um, I've seen people be put over their career in the places that are best fit for the company, right? Over and over. Like, the, you'd be great at this role, really? You know, and you've moved around a lot. And at some point, you have to stop and say, is that what I want? Mm-hmm. Um, because then you can start dictating, okay, well, do I want more money? Do I want more responsibility? Like, And I think, so that's why, I mean, are you having enough conversations with yourself, honest conversations, to know what you really want? Because if you don't know what you want, someone is going to put you where they need you. Okay. So and that's that, a, that goes along with salary. Right. right. That's like, that's one of those things that we should tweet out. Like, if you <laughs> don't know what you want, they're going to put you where they need you. Happily. And Happily. Then the, the, the gap starts right there. <laughs> yes. Because you haven't, you haven't made a decision. Like, if it matters to you to make 125K so you can do these four things, then you have to make motions and decisions to get there so you can have those four things. If you don't have four things and you don't have a goal, 
fine. <laughs> but right. that's what you're going to get. Right. So let's say that you figured out that um, you do have the skull. Yep. And um, it seems like you're qualified for it. Yep. And the organization could benefit from it. And you need to go in and have the conversation yeah. about how to make it happen. Yes. How do you help women learn to negotiate? Yes. So I like teaching people to negotiate when they don't have to, right? So a nice thing to do is, are you creating the goodwill and the network and everything when you don't have to? Because what happens is you get this anxiety and there's this pressure point and I got to go do this in the month and it's all. But hey, what happens if over the next year, you you just got a job, you got a little promotion, that's the best time to start working on your next job. There's no stress. You start networking. Once a month, you organize a coffee with a group of people who are going to be in your, your set. Like you prep yourself so that down the line, when you're ready or when next motion or something happens, you have a group of people to talk to and then it's easy going. You can talk about salaries and stuff. Right. Okay, like isn't there so, that mantra about networking is you build the relationships before you need them? And that is Cheeky Monkey. I've never, I started <laughs> Cheeky Monkey <laughs> because I just want to be around strong women who are awesome and motivated, right? Now, looking back like that, I started about four or five years ago. The, the, my base of clients and people and market, all of it, I didn't, it wasn't expected. Now, Cheeky is my, my big force, right? Um, so we can do that where you prep. But you're saying, okay, I want to learn how to, you know, I want to be VP. I know what it takes. I think I'd be great at it. And the person in there right now is a bozo. Fine. You know, I can do this. <laughs> right. Um, so January, you have the conversation. Say, hey, I'm thinking of this. Do you think there's an opportunity for me? Do you want that from me? Do you think that would work? Do you think that we... Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. Great. So come, you know, December, I feel like I'm going to do the thing. Tell me what I need to do. So come when I come to you in November and December and we have this conversation, we'll be aligned. Great. These are the kind of things I need you to do. Like maybe make more cold calls. Maybe you got to travel or whatever. Great. I have a roadmap. Three months in. Hey, it's March. This is how it's going. Little ups, downs. Great. Right. And you do this every three or four months. You visit by the time it is November, the end of the year. But there should be zero surprises that I've done what you said to do. We made all, in a way, we made a compact. I did mm -hmm. my part. Are you holding yours? And you've been talking about it the all whole along. Which is better for women. Instead of having the scary, in three days, it's my review. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, why are you doing that? Like, when is that okay? I mean, that we ought to start doing the longer game. And if it, it suits us better to, you know, to have this more patient way of, you know, of of uh, talking and interviewing and kind of engaging, and let's find out the way that makes us most comfortable for now. It also sounds like it is both emotionally um, responsive in that um, we're starting with relationship. Yep. It's not all based on one conversation, so the mm -hmm. stakes aren't as high. Yes. And that we can find our way with the person who's ultimately yes. going to be the decision maker. And it also sounds tactically wise because you're having the conversation over enough time and with enough instances that it's not oversimplified and therefore not vague. It is not vague because you've, you've had a roadmap in January. You did the roadmap. And, and this is important. They say no. Yeah, right. no. No budget. Yeah, things changed. Okay, I'm going to give you six months and we're going to do this again. In six months, now it's you. Now, like, okay, I have the smarts. I have a new skill set. I built it up. I'm going to go find a VP job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And that has to be honest. And I, we, we get comfortable. This is the part. Women will stay because, well, I'm thinking of starting a family in the future. Or I, I get everything's so comfortable I don't want to change anything. And then you keep that job and you get resentful. 
and you didn't get that raise and you stay there. And that's And also you say something important, which is that at that moment that you hear no, it's not Mm -hmm. the end of the world. Mm -mm. It sounds like it's a sign that you now start your next six-month trajectory of building the relationships, learning about other organizations, having the conversations about what do you want to do next so that it's not – um, an instantaneous, panicked, hostile response, yes. yeah. but another yeah. methodical yes. approach. It is methodical. If we have to start getting a hold of our careers in a methodical way and build wealth in a methodical way. It's not going to jump on our shoulders, and we have to do the hard work, and we have to do the research. So that's why the data, this is, goes back to, sure, yeah, this job you can make 110. So... <laughs> Does that mean you're going to get it? No. What are you going to do to work toward getting it? You know, the data is one. The human aspect is another. How are we going to actually do that? And then the career, like how you manage the, the, the culture to do that. So bring me back to sure. Wager now. Yeah. So <laughs> what are the services that you're offering? And what is, where are you trying to be 18 months from now? I know. So we do the one-on-one consulting, right? When just having co- peer conversations. We do wagers. So I pair people to have salary conversations still. And that's still much, really fun for me. Um, we do the workshops. And That's now like we're a doing... form of concierge networking. It is. It's so brilliant. I love, I, it's, but it's all the stuff I love to do, <laughs> which goes back to my life. I only do what I love to do. But the fun two things that I'm working on, which it might be interesting, um, I have salary salons now because people want a group of people, but not too big okay. when it comes to salaries. Okay. So it's 10 to 15 people. Nice. And I am basic, but we have to share how much we make and we all have to say where we want to go. So I take that group of people and I'm like, all right, wherever you are, we're all going to help each other get higher. You know, and so we have the resumes, we have the conversations. Do you, so, are, do I facilitate you, them. You facilitate I them. I facilitate these groups. And so everyone has now, while walking out, when they walk out the door, there's an action plan of how to make more and what they're doing next over the next six months. Right. It was modeled on my crappy resume parties. <laughs> Um, and okay, yep. so you're doing the salon circles. Tell me, and the modules, what, and the modules for leadership modules for women, uh, executive women. Okay, and where do you find the leadership modules? Is it are so those it's more and more larger companies um, when they have? Hey, we have high performing individuals. We want to keep them. Um, I want you to we, three months doing uh, workshops, one to one, and then regrouping given what we've heard of what are the possible steps that companies need to hear or where they're at. Okay, so now your website has a whole bunch of resources available. Give us the short list of what you can find there and how they find you. So you can find, uh, we have an education suite where it says, you know, like, uh, stuff to ask for, stuff to negotiate never thought about. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how to negotiate, how to start a conversation, all these little things, you know, we have small, we have things on there. Um, All the ability to, to, um, my newsletter which is a great newsletter. People really like my newsletter. It's good to People, get a little like yeah. gift in the mail that gives simple. you some encouragement. And it's really good and it's simple and it gives a lot of this ad- advice um, if you're not ready. And I think it's good because people start talking they hear the messaging, they get understanding, and then they're, it takes and people And you have different tiers at which people can join in the process, yes? Yes. Um, so you can, a person can do, you know, a simple wager. You can have two to three conversations with me. You can have the uh, the, the education suite. Um, or bring you into their company. Or you can bring me into your company, which is awesome. Cynthia, it's <laughs> awesome to hear your story. What you're doing is just wonderful. I love having you here in the studio in person. Um, what's your URL so people can find you? WeWager.co. Fantastic. And are you on Twitter? I am a chitter. We wager. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. And thank all of you for listening today. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, email us. You can reach us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow us on Twitter at our new handle at SXM Business and me 
at Laura's Arrow. You've been listening to Women at Work here on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Have a great week, everybody. Don't be afraid to ask. Call of the wild pouring into the streets. Emotional freedom means more than you think. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.